Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. Hey, and I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, please go check out Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel, where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we're continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes, chat with amazing guests, and answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. We are here, Season 5, Episode 1, Expectations. It was written by David Hudgens and directed by Michael Waxman. Our NBC synopsis reads, A new football season begins with high expectations for East Dillon, which Coach Taylor attempts to temper. There is so much to cover in this first episode of our final season, but before we get into it, we're going to answer a few fan questions. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our first question comes from Brantley H., who asks, Was there any discussion about where the fictional town of Dillon was supposed to be located and what its population was supposed to be? Brantley says, Obviously, the series was filmed in and around Austin and Central Texas, but the film in Bissinger's original book featured Odessa in West Texas. Over the course of the series, Dillon's exact location remained unclear, along with its approximate size. Brantley says, I wrote an essay with my own take on the subject back in 2016, but I'm curious if the topic was ever discussed by those who created the series. Number one, I'm just blown away that anybody wrote an essay about Friday Night Lights. I know. Send it over to the email, Brantley. He did. I actually read part of his essay. It was a long essay, Brantley. I mean, he <laughs> got pretty in-depth. I think the writers were intentionally vague about precisely where Dylan is on the map in Texas, but we do know that there is oil in this town, and I believe multiple references are made to the fact that it is in West Texas. I mean, when you look at where we shot, it looks like the hill country in Texas. And a lot of the exterior small town shots were actually shot in San Marcos, Texas, which is roughly about 30 miles south of Austin. I don't know. We can argue this one all day long, Stace. I, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. But I've always thought that Dillon was a place that had a population of somewhere between like 35 to 55,000 people. That's what it feels like watching it. Sometimes it feels smaller. Sometimes it feels smaller. Going to East 
Dylan made it feel bigger and the McCoy storyline made it feel bigger yeah. in a weird way. So that's where I'm like, ah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, there's a car dealership there. There's an Applebee's, a DQ, a couple Mexican restaurants. You know, there's a, a couple different bars. Mega church. There's a couple different churches. We've got a DQ, a.k.a. an Alamo Freeze. Uh -huh. We've got a fancy fine dining restaurant. We also have a strip club. So there's a healthy middle class there. There's also extreme poverty, as we see in seasons four and seasons five. And there is a wealthy part of Dylan, you know? So, I mean, we know that it's a pretty decent-sized community. I think it's a big enough town that... Maybe not everyone knows your name, but if you make a big enough stink, everyone's going to know your dirty laundry. It is weird how when we moved over to East Dillon, I think spatially, and the whole thing just opened up for me a little bit. Like Dillon yeah. just got a little bit bigger in my head. So yeah. I, I don't know. Any town that has enough for two high schools, I mean, that in and yep. of itself makes me say it's got to be at least like forty or 50,000. But that's still small enough yeah. that you're going to know most people in town. Even if you don't know that guy, you've probably seen that guy around town. We like five high schools in my city. So yeah, I can compare to that. Yeah. I went to college in Waco, Texas, which at the time was about 95,000. And Waco was just small enough that you felt like, not that you knew everyone. You wouldn't even come close to knowing everyone, but like you recognize people. You'd be like, I've seen that guy before. I don't know how I know him, but I've seen that guy. You know, there was George's Bar. There were only like four or five bars in town when I was there, you know. Uh it's definitely not a one light town. Like I, you know, I have a buddy of mine that grew up in Riesel, Texas, which isn't far from where Jesse Plemons grew up. Jesse grew up in Mart. And Mart's like a one light town where literally okay. there is a flashing red light when you enter the town and that's basically it. And they used to call the city Waco because Waco was like 12 or 13 miles away. And so they go, oh, I'm going into the city today to Waco. That's Waco. Waco's the city. Okay, next question comes from Sam K, who writes, what do you think happened to the Panthers' super team? There was a lot of talk about the super team, but if I remember correctly, by the time the super team actually comes around, I mean, we know that it's Dylan and East Dylan. That's what we're talking about. They, they combine. That's like the final thing that happens in season five. But who's still left? Vince is still around. Luke's gone. Landry's gone. Landry's gone. I don't think anyone's missing Landry, even though he did make some clutch kicks. I can't remember. Is Tinker still there? And doesn't the super team wind up just being like what Dylan was before? I thought the Panther super team was like the end of season three. No, I think what they're talking about is the super team that would have potentially happened when the Dylan Panthers and the East Dylan Panthers wind up coming back to join high schools. Because that's how the show ends. Spoiler alert, Stacey. Literally, I did not know that. You, should, you guys should see my shocked face right now. That's a powerhouse. <laughs> All I'm going to say is they're going to win state every year. But they don't have Coach Taylor anymore. Coach Taylor's gone. Don't need him. Later, Taylor. How dare you? No, I think it comes back to like what I was saying before. Like without Coach Taylor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many great athletes there are on the team if they don't know how to play. But they have Billy Riggins. What? So... Billy Riggins is an assistant coach. I think we established that Billy Riggins is an assistant coach. I know some people thought that Billy like became the head coach because they cut away to Billy like coaching some kids in the final episode. But no, Billy is not the head coach. Here's an interesting tidbit. I know that originally what they wanted when they were going to put the super team together, the final clip was just going to be a cut and you'd see this guy and he would turn around and the head coach was going to be Billy Bob Thornton to kind of bring it all the way back around to the original Friday Night Lights. And so Billy Bob Thornton was going to have taken over as the head coach of the Dylan Panthers. Can I tell you that made me a tiny bit goosebumpy? Dude, it would have been awesome. That would have been amazing. Unfortunately, Billy Bob was working on a different project and he was unavailable, but it would have been a really, really, really cool moment. I know that the writers were brainstorming about like who would the head coach be of this super team? 
And I think what they just finally came down to is like, if it's not going to be Billy Bob, we could go get some star, but we're not trying to tell that story. So they just made it vague in the end. So it's just some random coach. We don't know who it is. I did not know what a Panther super team even was. So now I'm excited, spoiled and excited. Welcome to the show, Stacey. I started watching season five. Aren't you so I know, excited? I know. I'm messing with you. Our final question comes from Keisha S who says, I just watched the episode when Jess tells Landry she has feelings for Vince. And it made me remember the Tyra era conversation between Landry and Tammy when she tells him he's going to come out ahead in life. So what do you guys think Landry is doing now? Jesse had an answer for this. I'm trying to remember what he said. I don't remember. It was really, you guys go back and listen to Jesse Plumman's episode. You're supposed to have an idea of what he's doing now. He wasn't with Tyra. He had met a sweet other lady at Rice, I guess. I want to say lawyer, but I don't know if that's right. I could see Landry being like the lawyer you wouldn't expect because he's quiet. You're not really sure what he's thinking, but then he gets up and he like in court and makes these amazing like inherit the wind speeches. That's my Landry. I could see that. I could also see him turning into like a Dan Bilzerian type where he's on a yacht. He's got 800 women. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, he said the band takes off a little. Oh, no, he starts another band with like the people that he works with just so he still has the music in his life, too. Maybe it's like a band of lawyers. (laughs) Speaking of bands, and we're going to get to it later in this episode, but Crucifictorious has actually come a long way. Did they rock? They actually play later in this episode, and I was like, they sound pretty good. I mean, obviously, whatever he's doing, he's successful. That's the BL and all. Landry's a winner. And it's like a lot of guys I know, a couple of buddies of mine that I went to high school with, you know, one of them, I love him to death, but he was a little bit dorky in high school, but like, I don't think you could say he's dorky now. Name names. My buddy Chris Moreno. Chris was dorky? Last time I saw him after lunch, he was going to drive me to the airport. I literally was flying out of Dallas that day. And he's like, I'll drive you, I'll drive you. And I'm like, which car is yours? And he's like, it's the Porsche. And I'm like, you got it kidding me. He was always super smart and eloquent. He's so funny. A good guy and funny, but it's one of those things where like in high school you're not an athlete, the girls don't care kind of thing, but they care now and like he's a stud. He's got uh, a beautiful wife, beautiful family, beautiful house, he's driving a Porsche and like he won. Don't peak in high school guys, that's what we're saying. Yeah, don't he peak. did not peak in high school. And just a good dude. So I could see that being Landry. You know what I mean? Landry rocking some kind of Porsche or, you know, and it's not because he's like having a midlife crisis, but because it was something he always wanted. He earned it. And he earned it. I think that would be a cool thing for Landry. You know, he finally gets a girl that loves him and and wants to be with him and has a family. And like, I think he's going to be probably the most successful of all the people that went to Dylan. Most likely. Definitely. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes. Anyway, all right. Thank you, guys. Keep those questions coming. We're going to jump into the rewatch portion of this show. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Season 5, baby! 
I did not know we could say whore on NBC, but we can because a show that I watched after it was like a network show and they said whore as well. I didn't know you could say whore either, but I guess uh, if Slam and Sammy Mead saying it, then it's all good. I feel slighted. I would have said it a lot more if I knew that we could. I feel like we haven't had any Slam and Sammy Mead for a minute, but it was nice to hear his voice again. It always brings you right back into Dillon, Texas. I love the little montage we get in the beginning of this episode. Tinker's wolfing down a burger while Vince and Luke are working out. I've said it before. I'll say it again. FNL does wonderful montage. On a quick side note, the hiatus between this season and season five was only about a month. Usually there was about a four to six month hiatus between seasons, but we basically shot these seasons back to back. And we're also claiming it's summertime here, but technically when we started shooting this season, it was spring. And you'll see that that's going to play out as the season goes on because it will be the only FNL season where there is no winter. Do you remember how hot it was that summer, Stacey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was awful. I remember there were days on set. We were shooting some stuff on the football field and it was 112 degrees that day. But on the field, it was like 130 and guys cleats were sticking to the actual field turf. I mean, obviously East Dillon didn't have field turf, but Dillon had field turf and we were shooting stuff where it was so hot that their their cleats were sticking to the turf. Gave me a new respect for moms too, because holding a kid on your hip and like the extra sweat that that makes, just like the yeah. extra weight in the heat. Yeah. Woo! I also, I get heat rash pretty bad in situations like that. So like they have this thing called the worm. And so when we would go into the field house, they have a giant, I mean, it's probably three foot wide air conditioner. Like it's the three foot wide tube. Yeah, it's like a tunnel. Yeah, it's like a tunnel. Yeah. I mean, it's connected to a massive air conditioning unit and it's like three foot wide and like 40 feet long. We're just killing the climate is what we're doing. <laughs> Yes, but I'll tell you what, man, I would crawl into that thing yeah. in the middle of the summertime and just lay down in it, and it was spectacular. I don't miss that. Too hot. It's too hot for me. Oh, God, it's so hot. Guys, Spivey's back. Spivey's a lion. <laughs> so, Aaron Spivey was one of the coaches that you probably saw numerous times on the sidelines for the Dillon Panthers. He would do the good chance on the bus. Yeah, big black dude, jacked. He played football in high school, and he was a gigantic yeah. help to me, especially in this season, because he played football in college. I played football mm -hmm. in high school, but I was never a coach. I would sit there, and I'd go over to Spivey and be like, okay, in this scene, what would I be doing? And he would give me all the pointers and tell me exactly what I needed to be doing, give me hand gestures to throw in. He was a gigantic help to all of us. You know, he was basically a technical advisor and an actor, but he got a lot more scenes in this season. Actually, get some blinds in this season. He was awesome and a huge... Huge help to me and Kyle. I mean, we were constantly going over to him anytime we had any scenes on the sidelines. Like, what are we doing here? So otherwise, we'd have been standing there with our thumbs up, our proverbial. Anyway. FNL. Like, we're not even going to talk about it. We're just going to go to you sitting in a prison yard with Tim. And, like, that yeah. tells us everything we need to know. He did it. And they did it. I mean, they pulled the trigger and actually stuck him in prison. Another interesting little tidbit about this scene, Taylor Kitsch was actually filming John Carter of Mars for the first half. Or I guess it became just John Carter. He was filming John Carter for the first half of this season, which is why Tim is not around for the first nine episodes of this season. And this scene with him in prison was actually shot during season four. So we shot this probably three months before we shot the rest of season five. And you just had to keep a real, real secret. We did. The other thing that was kind of crazy is we actually shot this in a real prison. So there was a fence separating us from the actual inmates, but there were real inmates walking by while we were shooting guards. And I've said it a million times on this show, but there is something about using real locations. It's ominous. That's an energy that's there. There's an energy that's there, yeah. man. And it's not like you're there for... 20 minutes we were there for you know five or six hours just shooting this one scene and it's as i said it's ominous there's a gravity to it it really as you said stace it becomes real at that moment you see him uh -huh. 
in that prison garb and in that gear. And it's a punch to the gut in some respect. And just Taylor being Taylor, he had so much like pathos in it. You could tell that he had been there for a while and it was doing things to him and he was a little yeah. deflated. Even though yeah. he was more inflated for John Carter physically, he was like deflated as a person. Well, boy, thanks, cold open FNL. And then he, I forget, what did you say to him? I said, in some ways, I was kind of a coach to you. Oh, and he said, coach was my coach, Billy. Oh, yeah, he says coach oh, was my coach, Billy, and that's uh, just like a knife straight to the heart. I think that that's the big thing for Billy in this season. It's, you know, up until this point, Billy was just kind of a recluse and a dummy and an idiot. And I think the severity of the situation that he's put his brother in has given him some time to reflect and realize I got to do better. I've got to be a better person. I've got to be better with my family. I've got to do better for my brother. I got to do better for my wife. So look, Billy's going to take, you know, two steps forward and one step back. But I do think that he's growing somewhat in this season. I mean, he still makes a lot of stupid mistakes, but he's realizing that life isn't just a big party all the time. We are at East Dillon, and there's my beautiful friend, Lynn Blackburn. I remember that she came in. They did like a deadline article story about it, that she's going to be a friend to Tammy, I guess. I don't know, because I have not seen season five, but I'm excited <laughs> that she's with us. Also, we're saying Spivey's a lion, Tammy's a lion now? Yeah. So Lynn Blackburn is a friend of ours from Dallas. She was very involved in the Dallas theater scene, but yeah, a good friend before the show even started. Yeah. She actually called me and said, hey, I've got this audition for Friday Night Lights. Do you have any pointers? And so I kind of talked her through, you know, be ready to improv blah, 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 blah. And so we were just super excited that she got on the show. And then sure enough, I think it was like episode 10 or 11, her husband winds up getting on the show. Shabley's on the show? Yeah, she... I didn't know. Yes. So her husband, Shambly Ferguson, who's also an actor, an amazing he's actor, a good he actor. winds up on the show in like season 10. I think he's like the, the head of the board. Tammy gets in some trouble again with somebody on the board. There's always some kind of politicking, bureaucratic BS going on with Tammy. Well, they live up here in New York with me now. Yeah, it was awesome that Lynn was on there. Shambly was on there. And she plays the only friend that Tammy basically has at East Dillon. Tammy needs a friend. I just want to say, except for your brother being in prison, it kind of feels like everything is right in Dylan. Yeah, right? <laughs> we're away from the blue. We're into the red. Yes, everyone's now officially red in Dylan. No more blue. I literally watched Wakanda Forever two days before I watched this episode. <laughs> and in this episode, Michael B. looks like a baby. He does look like a baby. It's crazy to me because I also watched Wakanda Forever about three weeks ago. I'm like, when did that guy get so jacked? I mean, he's yoked right now for Creed 3. Oh, man. But yeah, he looks like a baby. Luke Cafferty looks like a baby. It's crazy. Ray looks like a baby. Everybody. God. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. You don't look like a baby. I look better than I did. I'm not going to lie, Stacey. You look better now. I look better now than I, I did then. Agreed, so do I. I'm a much better looking man. Please sing my praises right now. You have color in your face. A spring yes. in your step. I don't know about that. My knees can hurt. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Billy's in a tie. Billy tries. And when he tries, it's a cute gesture. But it's never quite right there. <laughs> no. Billy shows up in a tie. He's trying to become a coach. 
interesting story about the scene. As I said, we had had a hiatus for like a month and a half. So for a month, I didn't do my Billy accent. I mean, yeah. we've also talked about how quickly this show moves. I think that day, my call time was like 11 a.m. And at like 9.30 or 9 a.m., I get a phone call and they're like, hey, we're moving real quick. Can you come in? We're going to throw you into hair and makeup and just go get that scene. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I come in at like nine o'clock, go right to hair and makeup. They get me into hair and makeup. Boom, boom. Get into wardrobe. I'm on set by like 10 a.m., an hour before I was supposed to be. Michael Waxman's like, hey, man, we're moving at a quick pace. Let's just get you in there real quick. In the first take, I was like, hey, coach, I just want to um, tell you. That, and they're like, cut, moving on. And I'm like, I, we, I'm like, Michael, we got to go again. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, my accent was all over the map, man. Like I hadn't been back in Texas for a month and a half. I hadn't really thought about Billy in a month and a half. And all of a sudden I'm like talking. I don't know. I was doing some kind of like George W. You know what? It was like a mix of like a bad Brad Leland makes a George W. This Billy has changed. Yeah. And I was like, I got to go again. And he's like, no, no, no. We got I'm like, no, I nope. got to go again. Like that was, I don't know what that accent Kyle's was. Kyle's secretly like, oh my God, yes, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So thank God they let me have another shot at it. And then I think it was a little bit more Billy. We moved so quickly on this show that like, I didn't even have time to do my thing. I get it. I like this. I feel a little redemption art coming for you. Okay. Landry's leaving, like leaving the show. Yes. He's like gone, gone? Yeah. Uh. Comes back for one episode at the very, very end. He comes back for the final episode. But yeah, when I read this in the script originally, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like, it's crazy because Landry's leaving. Julie is now the only person left on the show. Yeah, from the OGs. From the OG kids. Everyone else is gone. It really is. I mean, when you were saying it's officially red, it is officially East Dillon Lions. Gray Damon. I love Gray Damon. I adore him. <laughs> he actually lived in the same building that my boyfriend at the time lived at, and we had some very fun nights together. Also, seems like he can maybe really ball. Those are some good basketball shots. I don't know if he can really ball. He's tall. I love that Buddy's out there scouting the world, basically trying to find the next star player. As I've said before, Buddy can be a gigantic pain in the rear, but it's the kind of guy that you love when he's on your side. There were guys like when I was growing up that were baseball players or football players, and you hated them when they played for the other team. And then they'd wind up getting traded to your team, and you love them. And that's kind of how I feel about Buddy Garrity. Do you believe in the story of that guy's so good at basketball, let's get him to play football? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I'm with you. We're going to talk about something a little bit later in this episode. Yeah. I just didn't know if those things transferred, I guess. Like, athleticism is what it is. But honestly, yeah. I have said this. I think the most athletic of athletes are basketball players. You're just sprinting all day. Not saying talent, but pure athleticism to just sprint. Well, that's cool. what I'm talking Like, there's a lot of things. I mean, like baseball, hand-eye coordination. You got to have amazing mm -hmm. hand-eye coordination. But you don't necessarily have to be fast. You don't have to be fast. And you don't run that much. You don't run that much. You don't have to be in great cardiovascular shape. You do have to have amazing hand-eye coordination. But basketball- You have to be like peak cardio shape. Yeah. But football is kind of the same way. There are definitely positions. I mean, they literally call them skill positions for a reason, but as an offensive lineman, you don't have to be an athlete per se. You do have to be ginormous and you have to be smart. A lot of people don't realize that, but offensive linemen have to be smart. And not scared about getting hit. Yeah. There's that too. Anyway, Billy is a coach- and Billy is always, always extra. I really enjoyed shooting some of this stuff. They had originally given me this Ronnie Lott quote to quote, and I thought it would be really funny because it's only one line if Billy had to write it down. So I wrote it down and folded it up and put it in my pocket. And then on the day, mm -hmm. I pulled that slip of paper out. It originally, it wasn't written that I pulled the paper out. 
I loved it. There is a quick shot of Michael Bay, and in my heart, I knew he was laughing at you, yes. not Billy. He, he like put his head down and put his hand over his back. Yeah, I mean, Kyle does the same thing. My whole entire objective is Billy as a coach was to try to mess with Kyle Chandler as much as I possibly can. I love it. I had one objective, and not to mess with coach, <laughs> to mess with Kyle Chandler. Kyle. Absolutely. Yeah. Try my best to serve the story, but as an actor, try to break Kyle, try to get Kyle to laugh. Not an easy thing to do, by the way. No, not easy at all. But I will say that Kyle would often pull me aside during this season and be like, man, I wish I got to do some of the stuff you get to do. Because Billy's yeah. absurd. He's an idiot. And Kyle always has to be the straight man. And Kyle's yeah. a funny dude. And so Kyle, like, he's like, God, I wish I got to play some funny sometimes. Yeah. And you can see it. He'll lean into it. It's always very subtle. You know what I mean? When he does do something comedic, because he's got to be coach. He's got to be straight man. There was the episode where he couldn't find his car after he went out drinking one night, and Tammy yeah. had to take him back to the bar to find his oh. car, and I just rhymed. Always fun stuff. I had forgotten. Like, I can't even tell you how much I had forgotten that when I heard the name, it was just, there was the thought of, like, how much of my life have I forgotten when they said the name Epic? Yeah. And she's not even in this episode, but I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that whole thing. Yeah, the character Epic is going to be coming up, I believe, next episode. It also appears that Tammy's going to be running into some of the same problems that she had over at Dylan. A little bit different in the sense that, you know, the Dylan Panthers had plenty of money, but refused to make academics a priority. And at East Dylan, there's no money with which to make academics a priority. It's a devil town, Stacey. Devil school, Derek. I think when the principal is like, yeah, you, you're pretty safe to go home now, even though you have like three more kids coming. Yeah. You can go home. <laughs> it's fine. Crazy. What's in the water in this town? Okay, I can breathe. We know what happened to Jess's father. He went to go open franchises of Ray's Barbecue, which like he probably showed because the food was really good. But now at least we know where he is. Yeah. I mean, Stacey, you were doubting this whole entire time. Come on. They were going to tell us that he, mm -hmm. you know, moved off to Dallas with Santiago from season two to open a business together. They're opening barbecue restaurants all throughout Central Texas. I'm joking about that. You remembered that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I actually cool. I had, I had no recollection of this storyline whatsoever. <laughs> I knew that he left and I couldn't tell you where he went or why. I think I could have told you he was in Dallas, but I couldn't have told you why. Now, don't ask any more questions about it, Stacey. Just enjoy the show, even the things that don't make sense. Yeah, that's not going to happen because there's more coming up later. <laughs> Landry went to say goodbye to Grandma. Oh, God, I love these characters so much. If this scene hadn't happened, I would have felt jilted. Hmm. I feel a little jilted with the way things end with Landry. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But oh, as yeah, I said yeah. before, this scene kind of breaks my heart because I love the way it's Stevens and I love watching her work. It's like, ah, oh, I miss Grandma. I miss Matt. But it is kind of a closing of a pretty big chapter in this show. You know, Landry's leaving. He's one of the last of the original kids to go. Eh, I don't like talking about it. Yeah, it's a little less. Yeah. You guys, I think I've said before, there were three girls that played Gracie Bell and there was one Gracie Bell it wasn't that she didn't like Kyle it's that the other two girls thought he was charming and cute and he would make them giggle and Kyle just couldn't get this other girl to laugh she would just <laughs> sit and stare at him and she was not having it and so the Gracie Bell in this scene was definitely not that Gracie Bell because they were adorable at that table I also want to talk a little bit about this scene because it just reminded me so much of like being that little punk kid in high school and in junior high you know i don't think i got it at all when i was a kid i don't think i got it yeah. at all when i was actually watching this episode in my early 30s just how much your parents love you and like want to spend time with you it's really funny because now when i go home and see my family like that's all i do i will go and 
probably to the point where I'm annoying them now. No. But I love sitting there on the couch and just hanging out with my dad and talking with my dad for hours and hours on end. I had an audition recently and had I booked it, I would have been living in Miami for like the next three years. Oh, and I would have been- Oh, jeez. I called my dad and I was like, so I had this audition for something, blah, 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 blah. If I book this thing, I'm going to be in Miami for three years. And he goes, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, we'll get to get together and have dinner every night. I'll bring laundry over. Mom can do my laundry. And they're both like, uh, well, I, I, I kind of hope you don't get it. And I'm like, hey, that's not nice. But yeah, I don't think I got it when I was a kid in this dinner scene. Like Tammy's made a pie or a cake or something like that. A cobbler. Cobbler, that's right. Oh, man, peach cobbler. But she's made a cobbler for Julie. It's going to be like the, one of their last nights in town together because Julie's about to go off to college. And it just reminded me of so many moments I had when I was a kid. Uh -huh. And when I was in college, like I'd come home from college, I'd be back for a week, I'd sleep till noon, and then I'd leave to go hang out with my friends at like 5 p.m. Yep. and literally spend like, you know, 30 minutes with my parents a day. Never taking into consideration how much my family actually wanted me to be around. Watching this scene now, just being a little bit older, it made me realize just how crappy it is. You know, they just want to spend time with their kid. They love their kid. Yeah. All we want to do is go be with our friends. Yeah, yeah. It changes, though. Also, I was talking about it earlier when we were going through the questions. Julie goes to see Crucifictorious play, and Crucifictorious is good now. They're legit. Like, I want to see that band play live. They, as themselves, are just really good musicians. And this then... is true. Yeah, the three of them are really good musicians. This whole scene, though, it's sad. It's the going away thing. I also remember that when I was in college. Don't you, Stace, like when you were in high school about to go off to college? I don't know about you, but I had some really, really close friends, my buddy Chris Moreno being one of them, the guy I was talking about earlier. And I remember like we were all going off to college and like saying our goodbyes. It felt like you were never going to see these people again. Yeah. I didn't know that, you know, 30 years later, I'm still going to be friends with Chris and talk to him regularly. I'm still on a text thread with a lot of those guys. But at the time, it feels like we're never going to see each other again. This is the end, you know? I think I was just too excited to be go and live in another country. I was focused on me. <laughs> I was so excited that like literally two weeks after I graduated high school, there was an opportunity to go to Baylor for like a summer session. And I was like, I'm okay. going. A week and a half, two weeks after high school, I think I was in college. I couldn't leave soon enough. I was like, I don't have a curfew. I was so ready. And I loved my friends and everything, so but ready. I was so ready to get out from under my parents' wing. So ready. Okay, so this is what I think you're talking about. But I just, again, guys, I'm not okay when we shoot at the landing strip and I'm not there because that's my job. On a different note, I've always hated that this is the way we kind of left things with Landry. I personally was a little upset that he didn't get a little bit better send-off because, I mean, we had a big send-off for Smash and a big send-off for, well, I guess Lila didn't have that big of, well, but there was still something, you know? I just wanted to see something a little bit more for him. But we will get Landry back for one episode at the very end of the season. I think Landry was happy, so there's that. Yeah, Landry was happier than a pig and you-know-what sitting there at the landing strip, so. So we have that. Okay, uh, here it comes. You knew it was going to happen. Yes, I did. I'm going to start calling this Stacy Corner. Welcome to Stacy Corner. This is where Stacy finds little things in the show that she doesn't like and picks them apart. We should call it Stacy Picks. Stacy Picks, how is there a game to... Tomorrow. And these kids haven't even left for college yet. We're talking about freshman orientation, meeting your roommates, the days before class where you have to learn campus. What is happening? Here's what's happening. I'm so glad that you picked this out because I was hoping you would. 
because okay. I actually have an answer this time. I knew this was coming. So number one, Landry's going to Rice, which is in Houston. So, I mean, we, as we discussed before, we don't know exactly where Dylan is, but Rice is in Houston. It's in Couple Texas. Couple hour drive. Maybe, you know, six or seven hour drive. So it's not that far away. So it's not like he has to, you know, get on an airplane, blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal, though. As we stated at the very top of the episode, Slam and Sammy Mead says that this is the Whataburger kickoff classic. And what that means is that this is the first game of the entire state's season. So the whole entire state of Texas, this is the first game of the year for high school students. Is it like a place of honor? I don't know that I would call it a place of honor, but they do have these things, especially in college football. I don't know that they actually have them in high school, but in college football, they do have a thing called the kickoff classic, which is the first game of the year. And it's usually played like a week and a half before the actual season starts. And it's usually played before students are even back in school. This year coming up, it's going to be August 26th is the kickoff classic, the first game of the college football season, which is technically almost two weeks before most colleges start back to school. <laughs> in your face. Stacy, I am going to logistically look at the dates of this. Oh, look at it. Look at the all you year want to, that Stacey. this happened. You can look at it all you want to. <laughs> oh I also God. know when I was in high school playing football, we started two days before school started. I totally remember two days happening way before school started. And I do remember us having games a lot of times, like it was like the first week of school and we we're having a game already. But in the kickoff classic, if it's August 26th, most schools don't start till September. Am I correct? Yes and no. It actually differs from where your seasons are and how much air conditioning it costs. It's why Texas starts later, so they don't have to air condition during like a hot, hot month. Um, my junior year, our homecoming game was the first game of the season. Oh, wow. I'm like, where are we coming home from? What is happening? Well, it's probably because it was the worst team on your schedule. The homecoming game, you want to win. So usually you schedule the worst team on your schedule to be your homecoming game. And so it's a point of contention if you're the team that is the homecoming team. You know what I mean? Like if your opponents make you the homecoming team, you're like, oh, they have no respect for us. Ooh, slap in the face. Exactly. Slap. I don't know that. All right. But it is game time, Stacy. Here's an interesting little fact. Cody Pearl, who's the quarterback for the Croft Cowboys, is doubled by Eric Smart, who's the former defensive back at Texas Tech, and also Taylor Kitsch's stumped up. I didn't know he was back. Did he just come back for that one episode, probably? No, he was there for the whole time, if I'm not mistaken. He's smart. Really? Yeah, but he doubled a lot of different people. He also has a cannon for an arm and was a high school quarterback, but when he got to college, they made him a DB. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very okay, interesting. I'm going back into my corner. Uh, Stacy Picks. Hastings has never played football. Mm-hmm. And they're giving him pads and putting him on the bus. Yes. Uh, and then they're going to let him play in this game with the score that close. Talk me out of this one because nope. I don't know that I can talk you out of this one. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't imagine that actually happening, that a guy's never even practiced with the team and now he's playing. I will say that there are dudes when I was in high school that literally, you know, for whatever reason, they were late from summer vacation. And guys who had never played football before, but they were just natural athletes that literally came out there. And a week later, the coaches made a couple of plays specifically for them. Yeah, but this was so specific. Like, I know that guy. I can jump higher than them. Great. We don't know if you can catch. I'm going to agree with you here that it's a little ridiculous that he would come into the game at this point in time. Now, if he had practiced with them for a week, I don't think it's absurd that he would have come in there. A week. Especially with the, I mean, we've already established that Hastings Ruckel is basically a freak athlete. They're just going to basically throw him out on the field and get him open. 
here's another thing too. Football at this level, specifically this level, I don't think you could say the same thing about the NFL or college, but at this level, it's basically about my guy can out-athlete your guy. And especially with skill positions, which we were talking about earlier, and skill positions are like running back, wide receivers, the guys who run and jump. There's not a lot of technical know-how that you have to have at this level. Next level, yes. And to be a state championship team, yes. You got to have some technical know-how. But it's kind of like acting in that respect. You either can or you can't. You can teach people some stuff about it, but at the end of the day, you either have that skill set or you don't have that skill set. You, yeah. you could teach me how to sing properly, and I might be able to carry a tune, but I'm never going to be a singer. No one's ever going to hire me to be in a Broadway show to sing. And it's kind of the same thing. Interestingly enough, there's a guy named Jimmy Graham who's arguably you know, probably one of the top 25 tight ends to ever play the game. Jimmy Graham was a college basketball player. The last time he played organized football, was in junior high, I believe. And then his senior year, he had one more year of eligibility left in college. And he was like, I'll go out for the football team. Went out for the football team, started, and then got drafted in the NFL and literally went on to become one of the top 25 tight ends to ever play the game of football. And it's because he's a freak athlete. He's six foot seven. He weighs 260 pounds. He's got a vert that's through the roof and he runs like a four six forty which is unheard of for a guy that size. So if we're going to say that Hastings Ruckel is that kind of guy, it is possible that he could come out there after like a week of practice and be a starter. Yeah. I don't think you would throw him in in the middle of a game when he's never put on football pads before and hasn't ever run a pattern. I don't know that that would happen. It's a little bit like the one time I came and played softball on your softball team, and then I was never allowed to play softball on your softball team You were just anymore. too good. You were too good for us. Uh-huh. I was so, so good. They yeah. say, you can't play with us anymore, CZ. That is something, though. I mean, to be honest with you, talking about baseball or talking about golf or basketball, for that matter, like, all of those sports require freak athletic ability. You could technically throw a guy who's six foot six on a football field and have him catch a ball. Like, that could happen. Yeah, or, like, block that guy. You can't just throw a guy into a Major League Baseball game and have him hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball if he's never seen a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It's not going to no, happen. No, or here was my problem. I have anxiety, and if I was in outfield and I caught a ball, I don't know where to throw that ball to. And a lot of people yell at you, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, baseball is one of the sports, though. Like, golf, same thing. You may not be impressed with the athleticism of these guys, but the hand-eye coordination is next level. And there's math involved. I mean, I remember when I was doing 42... They called me to set one day, and I come running up to set. We're about to shoot this scene. I was a catcher in the movie, and I'm putting on all my catcher gear. And the guy on the mound was a former major league pitcher who was also a technical advisor on the shoot. And he goes, why are you gearing up? And I go, I thought we were about to shoot that scene. And he goes, yeah, but you're not catching. And I go, oh, you guys don't want me to catch in the scene? He goes, I'm throwing. And I go, oh, I can catch you. He goes, when's the last time you caught a 99-mile-an-hour fastball? Oh, no. And I was like, never. <gasps> and he goes, get off the field. <laughs> God bless him for looking out for you. Oh, 100%. I did get the opportunity to stand behind him, though, and watch him throw, and it was mm -mm. unbelievable. I can't fathom. I can't even fathom. Because I don't think until you've seen it, even hearing it, the sound that it makes off uh -uh. the glove is like, whack, you know? And the grunting, that's another thing, too, that you don't realize. Like, every time, because when you're in a stadium, you don't hear it. But every time they throw, like it's when like, when it gets caught? You know, throwing the baseball, there's a physical grunt. It's happening because you're releasing all this energy. It's impressive. 99 miles an hour is a lot because an hour before we recorded this podcast, I broke my toe. This is true. By something falling off my wall. And that was nowhere near what a baseball would do. What was it? Like a metal duck? It was a metal duck. 
God, that broke my toe because Stacy's gonna Stacy. You guys Stacey's don't gonna understand. Stacey. You don't understand how injury prone this woman is. It's absurd. But they're all fun stories. <laughs> Are they? I really am like the most accident prone. Oh god. Oh good lord. Okay, <laughs> Becky, 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 Becky is at my house <laughs> where she belongs. I'm gonna fight it for a little bit. I know. It made me so happy to see her come to that door. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, look Mindy at Billy. Mindy doesn't like it at first. No, but I said, just look at Billy in this scene. He's such a good guy. I mean, he's just, he's like a father figure to the world. Meanwhile, I can't believe your reaction, though. This is a child who needs our help, and you got nothing but stink eye for her. because she's pretty. Terrible, Stacey. Just terrible. What is it? I think you say in the next episode, I got a rooster in my hen house. <laughs> what it's is a it? fox in my hen house, and I don't like it. It was my least favorite line to say and the one that is most quoted back to me. I hated it. There's a fox in my hen house. So this scene with Julie at the very end of the episode just feels, I think I said it before, it's like this massive chapter kind of coming to a close on FNL. All the original kids are officially gone now and they're officially off the show. It's a beautiful, heartwarming scene at the end where we officially see Julie off and follow the reaction of both Coach and Tammy. And I was getting misty-eyed, but then I kind of remember Julie's not going to be gone for too long. She comes back yeah. pretty quickly. Ah, it's crazy. I think it's crazy you're just being on the journey again and re-watching the show. Well, you're different. You're a different person. You should write an essay on that. I'm going to write an essay on the comings and goings of the children of Dylan. Anyway, guys, I think that is it for our episode. Stacey, you want to send us out? That's it for Season 5, Episode 1. But join us next time for Season 5, Episode 2, titled On the Outside Looking In with special guest Dora Madison, who played Becky Sproles. But until then... Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Rastano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Orstano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.